Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we're talking about your 4-1 Detroit Pistons. Ben and I talk about Blake's 50-point game against Philadelphia, the uh, rotation ripple effects from Luke Kennard's shoulder injury, and we have our first official edition of Andre Drummond 3-point watch. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. It's the best way for us us to build the podcast according to what you all are talking about. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. I am pleased today to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you doing? Doing good. Four and one. Tough defeat, obviously, to Boston, but we knew they were better. But uh, choosing to find the optimism in the four and one rather than the uh, the crushing defeat against the Celtics. Yeah, definitely. This team uh is could definitely be worse than four and one and they're going to need every single win that they uh that they can take to get where they want to be so i'll definitely take four and one over something else anything else so uh we're gonna start the week off in order uh of course the the highlight of the week this week is blake griffin's 50 point outburst against philadelphia um blake's we talked about this at the beginning of of, uh last week's podcast and i think we're going to do this continuously as long as he remains amazing we're just going to talk about how blake griffin is amazing to open every single podcast yeah because he's rolling i mean fantastic basketball yeah um 50 points against the sixers game winning uh and one uh, in overtime uh against no ben simmons and so you know, that's one reason to believe that when these two teams meet later this week, the result might be a little different or the uh, the definitely the point total for Blake will be a little different. But uh, Blake was outstanding in that game, and I would definitely have much rather won that game than lost it. Um, that was the thing also that like kind of put – we saw a lot of like, are the Pistons back or is, is Detroit like a more assured playoff team um, from the national media because doing things like scoring for 50 points will, will put you on people's radars. Yeah, absolutely. And lost in Blake's fantastic performance was, you know, two other 20 point games from the two point guards, right? Bullock and Drummond, each 17 and 14. So Blake certainly carried the day, but you know, when, when the games are in the high hundred or low hundred and thirties, excuse me, uh, it's easy to overlook the fact that uh, there were some other strong performances from the Pistons as well. Blake rightfully deserving the credit, stole the show, especially in overtime. But um, the thing that we'll have to keep watching is, is can the supporting cast deliver? And against the Sixers, you know, subtracting Andre Drummond um, going six for 20, you know, everyone else was was pretty solid. So lots of good things happened uh, on the court against Philadelphia. Man, Andre and Joel Embiid just going at each other with uh, Andre definitely with Andre's team getting the whim, but with him definitely not decidedly not getting the better of of Joel Embiid. And you know we can talk about the uh, the BS uh, 
technical call that was quite weird in the moment and even even stranger uh, the day after. But uh, Andre was definitely in his own head against Joel Embiid, and it remains to be seen kind of if that continues um, with matchups that Andre deems personal, you know, like uh, like Joel Embiid, like Carl Anthony Towns. Um, I can't, I'm trying to think of some other guys that like Andre just like does not like. Those two are the obvious ones that stand out. And, uh, you know, of course, Embiid, we see a little more often than we do some of those other guys. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Embiid has pretty much owned Drummond in terms of the individual one-on-one matchups. Uh, unfortunately, it was really no different against the Sixers. Embiid was definitely the star. Of course, J.J. Redick had some big moments as well in that game. But, uh, you know, Joel Embiid, I think, made a few enemies. I think his his little taunt to the crowd essentially after Drummond fouled out is is going to earn him some boos, and rightfully so. Uh, but on the flip side, you know, there, there's a lot of annoying things about Joel Embiid, but the flip side is it's fun to have a little bit of a budding rivalry, right? I mean, the last 10 years, it's hard to even look at anything and get particularly excited about individual matchups. Uh, but I think there's something here. The teams are both solid, and obviously there's some individual bad blood uh, that's developing. So at, at a minimum, we're going to see fireworks when these teams match up. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to the uh, the game on Saturday. I'll say that's uh, that's when these two teams play next. Um, that's eh, that's enough about Philadelphia. Blake was amazing. Uh, the rest of the guys around him were amazing. Um, now we now we uh, move on to the Cleveland game, a game that was much more, I think, mortal for uh, for Blake Griffin. Andre Drummond had a 2020 game, if I remember correctly, but. Um, the team as a whole looked very uninspired, looked really just out of rhythm, but they were very fortunate to be playing the the Cleveland Cavaliers who just like look really terrible uh, this season. I don't know if you saw, but um, their coach, Teron Liu, got fired uh, this, yeah, morning. this morning. Happy Sunday. Yeah, exactly. Six games into the season, uh, obviously the, the Cavs are winless, and I don't think that's what Dan Gilbert wanted, but at the same time, like I don't know what he expected. But... Uh, focusing on the Pistons, the the effort level was just at like a solid like C throughout the entirety of the game. Um, they went on like a twelve to two run to end the second quarter um, to go up like ten and just basically like held that lead for the rest of the game, um, which was and so I've been I was a little curious to see how this team would respond uh, after a big win against Philadelphia. Previously, um, we, we've seen the Pistons lose to teams they were not supposed to. And so I will take, I'll definitely take this win over, over uh, losing a game that the Pistons are supposed to win. But the, the way in which they won the game was, was uninspiring uh, to me. You know, uh, I know you, we talked about this a little bit. You really only saw the, the second half of the, uh, of the Cleveland game. Uh, You know, what was, what were you really just like, what was your impression of the energy level? Oh, it was poor. Yeah, I mean, I was able to listen to the first half, and then I was able to you know, dive in and watch the second half. Um, I think you summed it up pretty well. I think this has been a, a struggle for the Pistons over the last several years. They've found ways to play up in the big games. And, you know, like against Golden State, for example, over the last several years, they've had some, some really inspiring wins and some highly competitive games. So they're playing the you know the best team of the decade and they play up 
and you get to games like this and they they just play down there's just no other way to describe it and when you look at the box score like the box score doesn't look as bad as the game felt right i mean drummond you mentioned 26 and 22 blake with a double double 26 and 10 and you know they ended up winning by a healthy seven points i guess so you know seven points is is still seven points it's three possessions essentially but uh, yeah, watching it, it, it was painful. It was uninteresting and uninspired is, is probably the best word to describe it. Yeah, I mean, and the that that the margin of victory could have been higher, right? The end of the game was a little was a little wonky. Yeah. He had a lot of missed free throws, a lot of just like generally sloppy play on both ends, and like I think that that contributed a lot to like my lasting impression of the game. If they had just like made their free throws down the end of the stretch, they win this game by like fourteen points, and then we feel a lot better about what, what happened. Yeah. And that's completely fair, but you know, the flip side of it is like, if you're in a game like that against a good team and you miss your free throws, you risk losing it. Right. So if you're, if you're playing an equivalent talent level, equivalent playoff contender, you can't afford to be bricking all those free throws and being sloppy in the last two minutes. And, you know, you can see it in Dwayne Casey, you know, calling timeouts late. You can see him trying to light a fire uh, and the piston just, well, we're just going to do barely enough to hold on. Yeah. And so uh, the other big piece of news that came out of this game was obviously Luke Kennard's injury. Yeah, Luke Kennard has a sprained AC joint. The way uh, Keith Langlois of Pistons.com explained it, a sprained AC joint is like also called a separated shoulder. So like he, he, there was a little bit of confusion when the reports first came out because some people were saying separated shoulder and like that implies, you know, a, a level of severity that is not implied when you say like he sprained a joint. But they're, I think they're like the same thing medically. So that's a little weird. But uh, the expected recovery, the expected recovery time is a month. He'll be reevaluated in two weeks. I personally figure he'll be back in about like five and a half, six weeks. Dwayne Casey seems to like to take recovery slow and I don't blame him uh, for it. Yeah, I don't either. And he's been, you know, he's been playing Langston Galloway a lot in Luke's limited minutes. And of course, obviously, Ish Smith a lot. So you know, that gives those guys an opportunity to, uh, you know, for, for Isha's perspective, continue to play well. And I think Galloway still some stuff to prove. Um, we might talk about his shooting a little later. Um, gives him a chance to either solidify his role in the rotation or maybe make it clear that Kennard is the guy that Casey will go to. And you're right, probably four to six weeks is reasonable. Yeah. I thought so like with Kennard's injury, we obviously saw the rotation change uh, against Boston. We saw a little bit of that change in the second half as well. Um, we've seen some Bruce Brown. We've seen a little bit more Jose Calderon than I would have liked in the, in the first five games. But uh, then a guy we haven't seen as much of that, you know, anybody who listens to this podcast who knows who I'm about to say, it's, it's Glenn Robinson III. Um, personally, I, I've been going through like the film of, of Glenn's uh, – time with the Pistons and I think he kind of lost the trust of the coaching staff um, in his play at the uh, at the end of that Nets game where he didn't foul Joe Harris and the coaching staff like wanted to foul up three I mean like and it worked out but you saw like immediately after the game like Blake grabbed him like told him like no we were supposed to foul like process over results type of thing Mm -hmm. Um, you when I watched uh, Glenn against Chicago he did a he did a decent job on defense especially on on Zach Levine but a lot of that was like he's defending with he's defending the guy with the ball in his hands. Um, he's not a he has not struck me as a particularly attentive off ball defender. 
And I know that like backdoor cuts and like off ball movement um, is like the quickest way for a coach to be like really just frustrated with a guy defensively. And so I'll be curious to see how um, this canard injury impacts Glenn Robinson, the thirds and uh, playing time uh, in particular. Yeah. And if we see, if we see Casey go to Bruce Brown, I mean, happy for Bruce Brown, nothing against him, but I, I think that would be concerning because, you know, Glenn Robinson was really the significant guy added to the roster and for him to be in the doghouse five games in is, is a little troubling. Playing, not being able to play over a second round rookie is like really just concerning. A second round rookie who has not looked particularly good uh, offensively and has looked like uh, aggressive on defense. I think like Brown has a really good mindset on D, but I have not seen like anything that implies like he's just, he's like this immediate impact defender, you know? And so I've just, it's, it's just been confusing to me. It's also like it, we keep going down the line. I wrote something this week about what Casey's done as a coach um, in, uh, and in his time as a piston. And like, one of the things I brought up was, was like the propensity for like smaller lineups and like Brown fits into that a little bit. Like he's ostensibly going to be a point guard in the future, but he's like, he's got good size. He's like six, five or whatever, but you know, this kind of just Casey is supposed to be this defensive coach. And yet he continues to play these really tiny, like three guard lineups, lineups where like Reggie Jackson is playing small forward. And, you know, that's going to get the Pistons killed defensively in, in the long term. And it's not, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it spurs as much offense as Casey thinks it does, you know? I, and that's why I was really, I was really happy to see, Luke get more playing time because you know remember last week we were talking about Luke's uh, DNPCD against Chicago and everything and so it was like okay well Luke will see time as the small forward in like three guard lineups and it'll be fine it was like no but if Casey doesn't trust Robinson and he doesn't trust um, if he trusts Bruce Brown over Robinson like we're still going to be kind of stuck with these smaller less uh less of able to defend lineups and like i don't think that's going to make i don't think that's the process that like he wants um, so i'm just curious to see how he resolves that that uh, that tension like within himself you know yeah i completely agree and i i think that particular three guard lineup i, I don't like it conceptually so far reggie and ish has worked together better on the court than conceptually it made sense in my head but i think when you throw uh, Langston Galloway into that mix and you've got this really awkward undersized three guard rotation you know even if it works in spurts I, I just feel like at some point if you start to rely on that someone is going to just as exploit the crap out of that right and it, it's going to become very difficult for Casey to rely on that and I know you have particularly strong feelings about it I, I share those I, I don't I don't like it even if in the short term there have have been some some looks where maybe it made a little bit of sense. Yeah. So they that that particular three guard lineup of Ish, Reggie, and Langston has only played twenty five minutes uh, on the season, but they have a defensive rating of one hundred and thirty, which is like Ooh. yeah, exactly. It's just so far beyond like what you would ever want to even see in a small sample. And you know, I'm afraid that Casey's going to like stick with that, and we're just going to keep seeing uh defensive uh mismatches just across the board um and so uh, luke and so that all that is to say that like luke Kennard's injury 
might seem like not that significant, but it has a lot of ripple effects up and down the roster. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, Luke, as we've talked about, not a standout defender, but also I don't think a poor defender, right? Like he's, he's somewhere in the like average to maybe slightly below average, but, but the key thing he's got is a little bit more size than that three guard lineup gives you. And I I know that's something you've pointed out before and, and the ripple effect is definitely real. Yeah, Luke, Luke, if nothing else, will uh, be he'll play the scheme, right? He'll be an yeah, effective team defender. I, I got the size. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's pretty much everything that happened against Cleveland, uh, and then the Pistons played the Boston Celtics, and they yeah. lost by a bunch. Uh, Boston is quite good. Uh, I don't know people when I when we talked to uh, Alex Kungu and and James Hollis to begin the season. Uh, our season previews like we talked about Boston as a contender like as as the number one seed in the Eastern Conference and while they hadn't shown that up to this point I think that this was like definitely the game where you saw like exactly what people were afraid Boston was capable of right uh, even even like Kyrie didn't have a good game Al Horford didn't have a particularly good game uh, Jason Tatum did not have a particularly good game but you know they're so deep and they're so talented that their bench guys just came in and just destroyed the Pistons bench, especially to, to start the second quarter. And like that was that was just kind of it afterwards. Um, there are like there's some things we can take away from this game, um, and there's some things that we can definitely uh, talk about the Pistons hopefully doing differently in their next matchup on Tuesday against the Celtics. But uh, and the first of those is the way that the Celtics defended uh-huh. Blake Griffin. Um, because I think this is particularly instructive for uh, for the future, right? So the Celtics did everything in their power to take away Blake Griffin's ability to attack the rim. Um, they sent multiple guys at him. They walled off the paint, um, and then when Blake, you know, had the opportunity to like uh, make passes to guys that were open, the shots didn't go down. And so now we're starting. I'm starting not to wonder. But I'm looking at uh, Dwayne Casey, and I'm saying, okay, so when, when, what kind of offense are we running? Like when Blake Griffin uh, is not as effective as we'd like him to be, you know? And like, I don't like. Yeah, the answer I, so I mean, it's, for me, Dwayne Casey. I don't know what to make of him yet, but I think one thing so far that's a, a little bit surprising to me is that the lack of sophistication offensively. Now I understand that when, when Blake Griffin is playing the way he's playing, giving him the ball and letting him just make plays makes sense. But your point is absolutely 100% spot on. There are teams who aren't going to be as good defensively as the Celtics are, but who are going to try the same types of scheming to limit Blake's effectiveness. And the question for the coaching staff has to become, what do we do when teams start to do that? And, and when we play teams like the Celtics who are good enough to really give Blake problems, there's got to be some sort of plan B, right? There, there just has to be. Um, it didn't help that nobody made shots against the Celtics, right? I mean, Stanley, Stanley Johnson made shots, actually. But, you know, Reggie Jackson, Reggie Bullock, Ish Smith didn't shoot the ball well. Uh, and then, you know, by, by then it was the second half, by the third, middle of the third quarter, the game was pretty much over. And, and Casey was just kind of playing everybody. But there's got to be a plan B, plan B because give give the ball to Blake and, and hope that he does something is not going to work for 82 games. Yeah, I, I mean, and so there there's an obvious second 
level of like what the Pistons should be doing offensively when they're not going to Blake, right? It's the it's yes. the Reggie Jackson, yep. Andre Drummond Absolutely. pick and roll, and we didn't and we yep. just didn't see a lot of that uh, against the Celtics. And I was, I mean, I attribute some of that to the the switching the Celtics were doing, um, but at the same time, like you you still have to kind of try it. Casey didn't even and Casey and the players didn't really seem to even like think of that as like an option and like that's what worries me right so Casey has like been uh one of the things that he's talked about is giving the players more offensive freedom right giving giving Andre the ability to shoot three-pointers is like obviously the 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 big thing but it's like you know I'm not going to stand called a lot of plays I'm not going to come down and call a play every time like I'm just going to let the guys like work through the offense it's like, well, like when you run into a situation like the Pistons ran into, where if we just if we're just running the offense and it's going to Blake and it's not working, like um, you're supposed to, you know, call a timeout and like sit the guys down and be like, hey, like, OK, we're this isn't working. We're going to try some stuff different. And like that was a thing that the certain Toronto fans and certain Toronto like Twitter people had like told me to expect from Casey coming in. And so I, and now it's just like a little jarring to see it with your own two eyes, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, from my perspective on the game of basketball, generally, I'm a big fan of strategically using set plays, right? Like you have certain sets that you go to on an inbound player out of a timeout or whatever, but I'm a big believer in having some sort of a system. If for no other reason than everyone sort of understands what plan A is, but then also what plans B and C are, right? So, you know, I would like the team to understand, okay, if they're throwing two guys at Blake, running him off of the spots where he wants to be, then my system tells me, okay, the next option is is Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond on the weak side of the floor in a, you know, one five pick and roll or or some other option, whatever that option might be. And I I think you're right. I, I have not observed that. I don't think the players are defaulting to that. Um, so maybe the pendulum swinging a little bit too far to individual, you know, creativity and individual freedom and, and maybe a little more structure uh, will start to emerge if if teams continue to focus on Blake the way the Celtics did. Yeah, I mean, and with that said, right, like Reggie Bullock went two for nine in this game. Right. Langston Galloway went one for six from in this game and oh for five from three. Right. Like maybe if a couple a couple of those looks go down, the Celtics are forced to, you know, play a step you know, closer to Reggie or step closer to Langston and open up the space a little bit more for Blake to operate. And then the offense flows a little bit better. But I mean, and so it's like, well, okay, sometimes guys just need to make open shots. And but that didn't happen tonight. And so I, I mean, I don't want to get like mired. I don't want to focus like too heavily on this loss. I expected the Pistons yes. to lose this game. Yeah. Um, but it was it was more the manner in which they lost rather than like the fact that they lost is, is what concerns. Yeah, me. it's the flip side of the Cavs coin, right? Like you expect right. the Pistons to win, but you're still sort of concerned about how they won. You expect the Celtics to beat the Pistons, but you don't expect the Pistons to just roll over. And that, that's ultimately what happened. Yeah, I mean, and I will say, right, like I would much rather, uh, you know, beat the beat the Cavaliers and lose to the Celtics than um, do the do the inverse. Right. Yeah. Right. And just we're not sure like what kind of uh, team we have on a night in night out basis. It's like, okay, well, now we have a better idea. The teams that are better coached with uh, more defensive personnel to to handle Blake Griffin 
can can perform better against us and like that okay that's good information to know like now we just have to make sure we focus on defeating the teams that we are uh like equipped to beat for for lack of a better term yeah uh so one positive thing that, that you flagged was uh, stanley johnson had some nice moments what do you see from stanley in the loss to boston that was encouraging to you Oh, that's right. So Stanley had a couple really good moments in the first quarter. He was playing downhill, which is like that's that's the way I, I tend to describe Stanley, like when he's on because he's out in transition with the ball in his hands, um, forcing guys to react to him. He also had like a really nice uh, early corner three. Um, if he can knock down, I know we've been saying this for years, but like if he can just knock down those corner threes consistently, that just like opens up a, a world of offensive possibilities uh, for the Pistons. And so I was, I was very pleased like with the way he attacked the Celtics. We need, um, that's something I think that the, the Pistons need more of. They need, they need more uh, dynamism from their wing players. Um, the, you see a lot of like the two man game between Bullock and uh, red and Blake, but uh, Bullock is not a guy who's going to get all the way to the rim all the time. And Langston Galloway is the other like main guy who plays on the wing for for the Pistons and he is not he's never been a guy who's going to get all the way to the rim he's always been a kind of a guy who's reliant on uh making threes to to be valuable in the in the NBA and like right now he's shooting 15% from yeah. and so like having having a guy like Stanley on that night having another guy on the roster like able to make plays uh in transition able to hit open shots uh I think that that was really valuable that was really good um and I, I've crapped a lot on Stanley but um, I think he has he's done a better job, especially against Cleveland and uh, against Boston, of playing like within himself of, of knowing his role. I don't know if Casey like uh, went back to they went back to the role cards or whatever that Casey talked about uh, passing out at the be at the beginning of the season. But uh, he's definitely done a better job of like not hijacking the offense with like a bunch of shots that are just not not good ones. You know? Yeah. And uh Three for eight from deep against the Celtics. I, I don't love Stanley taking eight, eight threes, but if he's going to make three of them, like that's almost thirty eight percent. That's that would be fantastic. Like if if Stanley could settle into that, you know, like one game he's one for three, the next game he's two for four, so he sort of settles into that thirty seven, thirty eight percent range. As you mentioned, that opens up all sorts of stuff with him on the floor that we're not getting right now. Yeah. And one of those was a heave, if I'm remembering correctly, too. So he's really like three for seven, which is like, you know, yeah, even better. Um, yeah. But uh, so that, that was one thing that's positive to come out from that. But like a week long trend we've seen, though, is is the lack of dynamism from the guys on the wing. Uh, like I said, Langston Galloway is shooting 15 percent from three. Um, Reggie Bullock has started slow, but he he typically starts slow. Uh, there was a tweet. There was a tweet from Vince Ellis uh, earlier this week, reminding fans that uh, Reggie Bullock was three for eighteen from three last year through uh, October and November, and like he shot himself out of the rotation like a couple years ago under Stan Van Gundy at the beginning of the year, and so like we should definitely extend Reggie Bullock some patience. I think he's definitely he earned it with his play last year, but uh, until like his game comes along, that's definitely like an element the Pistons are going to be missing. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep an eye on that. I think that's like, I'd try to like, not like assign myself certain things to watch for during games, but like, that's definitely something I'm going to keep an eye on and see if Reggie Bullock is making shots or not. Because, you know, as, as we saw like last year, like when he's on, he plays like a guy who's worth like, you know, 10, 12, $14 million right. a year. 
and he just hasn't. Been. Yeah, and the thing about three-point shooting is it's just so fickle, and I harp on this all the time. You can even go to like the greatest three-point shooters in history. Reggie, ja- uh, Reggie Miller comes to mind, excuse me. Look at his career percentages, and even from season to season, it's just impossible to predict just how good one of the best shooters in the history of the world is going to shoot. So, you know, you look at Reggie Bullock against the Celtics, for example, one for five. Well, that's 20% from deep. Change that to two for five, and it's 40% from deep, right? So the three-point shooting is going to come and go. It's going to be hot and cold. Right now, it's cold, but we know he's better than he's, he's shooting right now. So as you said, patience is absolutely the way to approach it, I think. Right. I mean, so, and we have to remember, as much as we like things to be immediately the way they're going to be the entirety of the season, it's only been right. five games, Right. right? I'm looking at Clay Thompson right now. Clay Thompson is shooting 12% from three. <laughs> like, obviously, that is not going to continue. We should, we should trade Reggie Bullock for Clay Thompson, then, right? Because Reggie's the better right, shooter. better yeah. from three. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think Golden State <laughs> would do that. But, right, like, we're going to – we have to extend some level yeah. of patience uh, yeah, to absolutely. these guys. And I think that's, that's definitely something that I think uh, Dwayne Casey is more willing to do than Stan Van Gundy uh, was. And so I'm looking forward to seeing how that positive reinforcement plays itself out uh, over the next couple of games. Okay. Um, oh, I have one more note in here. Uh, we, we talked about this uh, a little bit. Uh, yeah, kill, I have literally, I've written down, kill the Ish Langston Reggie three guard lineup yes. with fire. And, and so uh, that's the one, that's the 130 defensive rating uh, front court. Let's just let's just uh, not do that uh, anymore. Um, so, oh, you you made a note of something that I wanted to bring to people's attention. Um, the the Andre Drummond three point watch. Uh, I know that that's been a huge point of consternation among fans, but as you pointed out uh, in our Google Doc, you know Dre hasn't shot any threes in the last two mm-hmm. games. It's like that. That's yeah. pretty good. I mean, he that's one good game and one, you know, not as good game against Cleveland and Boston in which we've seen the three-point uh, shots kind of just ex- excised from uh, from his shot selection. And so, like, when you're looking at that, is that something that you expect to continue? Is that something – I know you're I know you're happy about it, but, like, do you expect it to continue moving forward? Well, I'll tell you why I think it should. And – uh, it has not only to do with the fact that 26 and 22 is just incredible, right? That's what he put up against Cleveland. And, and look, like I, when I've watched Andre play, I mentioned this, I think last week, I've intentionally been avoiding box scores as games are happening for the most part. Um, Cause I'm, I'm really just trying to dive in and watch the games that's happening. I haven't watched Andre play at all yet and think, yeah, he's playing up to his capacity. And that's in spite of the fact that he has 26 and 22 against the Cavs, right? The Boston game, you know, obviously that's kind of a throwaway game, but still relatively impressive um, stat line, 18 and eight. But the thing I've liked about the last two games is some free throw attempts. Uh, I think the thing I liked the least about the first few games was Andre's lack of free throw shooting. I felt like it wasn't just the one for seven, it wasn't just the seven attempts. It was also those other possessions where he was just floating out in la-la land, not doing anything to be engaged. I'm, I would much rather have him in the paint, grabbing, grabbing the rebounds, and also getting to the free throw line because he's, you know, he's not a knockdown shooter, but he's, he's better at the line than he is shooting from deep. And I'd rather have him those four or six free throw attempts happen than you know, one or two threes. I think that's 
just much better for his overall production. So yeah, the Andre Drummond three-point watch is real. I don't think it's a coincidence that his two best games of the season are the two games he hasn't taken a single three-point attempt. I, I think those two things are related to each other. That's that's an excellent point about the free throws that I hadn't really thought about, but definitely makes a lot of sense, right? Because if we think back to the Philly game, like that was the the root of a lot of Andre's frustration was that like Joel Embiid was getting officiated yeah. one way and he yeah. wasn't. And like you saw him, you know, attack Embiid and like try and draw fouls on him and try and like get uh get the offense going that way and he wasn't able to do so because of the referees and like you saw how frustrated he got. And so definitely I think that's one way for him to involve himself in the offense. And we all know that when Andre is involved in the offense, yes. he's more involved in the defense. Yep. And so that makes him a better player um, without doing something as low percentage as taking threes. So that's an yeah. excellent point. Brian. So to close us off, there's just a few, like not related to any specific game or specific play things that I'm sort of keeping my eye on. One is the Andre Drummond three point watch. So we will revisit that every few weeks, see how things are going. Uh, Other things, like in my mind, this is kind of the way I've been framing it. Have we really learned anything about this team yet? Or is it still a little bit too soon to know? Uh, And I think objectively, it's only five games. We don't really know any of these things yet. But I I think we've, we've seen enough to start looking at trends. First one for me. The Stan Van Gundy era, if, if nothing else, was defined by an incredibly slow offense. And I was expecting to see a little bit of an uptick uh, under Dwayne Casey. So far, we have really yet to see that. Pace, 23rd out of 30 in the NBA, still in the bottom third of teams. I, I would really like to see Casey generate some up-tempo offense. Um Looking at some of the bigger picture numbers, offensive rating and defensive rating, weird things can happen in small samples. And, and this is a weird one. The Pistons are four and one in the record books right now, but they actually have a negative point differential, meaning they've given up more points than they've scored. So if you look at something like expected wins, losses at, at basketball reference, you'll see that you'd expect a team with this point differential to be two and three, actually, instead of four and one. Um, point differential is often looked at as the gold standard of team quality. So five games, like I said, too small of a sample, too noisy, doesn't mean anything yet. But two weeks from now, three weeks from now, I think we're going to want to revisit this point to see, you know, what does the record look like? But what does the point differential look like? And where do the Pistons sit in terms of their overall defense with respect to the league and their overall offense? Right now, they're essentially middle of the road in both of those things. They're scoring about... 109 points per 100 possession and giving up about 110. So that's that that negative point differential. I, I especially want to see that D rating get better. The, the Pistons roster did not change very much, but the way they're playing defense has changed tremendously. So so Casey has some work to do, to do there in terms of scheme. Um, the last thing I that's kind of standing out to me as a big picture thing. Reggie Jackson has been hot and cold. Last week, I praised him for being active off the ball, uh, knocking down shots. This week, the shots didn't go in. And so Reggie's stat line looks actually really bad. And the whole season stat line uh, took a hit, again, small sample size. But shooting really, really declined under 40% from two and from three. And I'm going to borrow your language, Laz. To me, Reggie has looked very reactive as opposed to active. And I think as we've talked about the Pistons need a plan B, I think Dwayne Casey needs to figure out how to get 
Reggie Jackson um, engaged with the ball in his hands. I, I've loved the fact that he's been willing to let Blake take control because Blake has been great. But I think in order for the Pistons to get where they want to be, Reggie's going to have to find a bigger role offensively, particularly with the ball in his hands, uh, because I think that's going to get him some better looks. It's going to get him to the free throw line, uh, which he hasn't done yet. Um, so Reggie Jackson, hot and cold. If if there's one thing other than Blake Griffin that I think uh, explains the last couple games, I think a lot of it has to do with Reggie Jackson. He just hasn't been engaged. The shot hasn't been falling when he's off the ball. Uh, so it's time to, to reestablish that pick and roll, whether it be with Blake or with Andre. So, you know, those are the things I'm watching. I don't think we really know anything for sure yet. Like I said, too soon to really know for sure. But some trends I think uh, we can start paying attention to as we get to 10 games in and 15 and then 20. No, definitely. I think uh, of those of those things, of those points you brought up, the one that intrigues me is Reggie Jackson running hot and cold. Um, and a large reason for that, I think, is because the ball's been taken out of his hands. And so one way, like you said, the ball's been taken out of his hands. One, one way to do that, to kind of put the ball back in his hands, is to not play him with Ish Smith so much. But it's hard to do that because that pairing has been so successful offensively. But I think in the that might not continue, right? Ish might not continue to be the three-point threat he's been uh, so far. And uh, he's always been kind of an effective like on-ball guy. But if he's not uh, as effective from three, we've seen what can happen with the offense kind of um, being able to be really easily defended on the perimeter if, if Ish isn't hitting those shots. And so I'd be curious to see some Reggie Jackson, Andre Drummond minutes where like they are yeah. the main two guys where, where we're back, we're back in like 2015 mode where there's no Blake on the floor where Blake's resting um, where there's no ish on the floor. And it's just, you know, Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond surrounded by shooters. I'd be curious to see, um, especially like now that Luke is, uh, is hurt. We could see some, a lineup maybe like Reggie Jackson, Reggie Bullock, um, Glenn Robinson, the third and Langston Galloway and Andre Drummond, right? Like just Reggie Jackson, Andre Drummond mm-hmm. and just space, just yeah. as much space as possible as a way to, as a way to, as we talked about earlier, kind of key the team's offense, you know, without relying on Blake Griffin, uh, even even being on the court or relying on him like doing a whole lot. And so, like, I think that's definitely something worth keeping an eye on. Um, the the other thing I'll say is that the uh, the offensive rating and the defensive rating numbers you you brought up, the uh, Pistons are scoring about 109 points per 100 possessions. That's 17th. Um, they're giving up about 110 points per points per hundred possessions. That's 16th. Um, ideally, you'd like the to be top 15 in both. I think that's that's kind of the number I had in my mind. Like regardless of whether what the like actual uh, numbers would be, I would like the Pistons to be about like 13th in offense and about like 13th in defense because I think over like the sign of a really good team is your top five in both. Sign of a pretty good team is that you're like top 10 in both, right? And so I think the Pistons could be like just underneath if they're above top 15, but like below top 10 in both of those. I think that's a great indicator that they are where they want to be on both sides of the ball and that they're having like a reasonable amount of success, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I I think, you know, going into this season, what I was looking for was maybe a half step backwards defensively. I think that's something, you know, for all my qualms with SVG, he did a really fantastic job 
turning the hole into more than some of the parts on defense. Uh, what we've seen instead is like a, a step and a half back. So I'd like to see the Pistons get back to that top 10, 11, 12 in terms of defensive rating. And then if they can sustain, you know, like middle of the road, right? Like 15th out of 30 in offensive rating. That's the sort of uptick I was expensing, uh, expecting with the introduction of Dwayne Casey uh, and his offensive prowess. So we've seen part of it. We've seen the offensive improvement that I was kind of hoping for, uh, but we've seen the defense slip quite a bit more than I was hoping for. So, you know, 20 games in, I'm hoping to see the Pistons get that D rating down under 110, maybe more around 105, 106, 107 uh, by the end of the season. So yeah, definitely. I think you explained it well, you know, if you're in the, in the top 15 in both of those things, you should be knocking on the door of the playoffs. And that's right where the Pistons want to be. All right, Ben, the, the Detroit Pistons are four and one. They play uh, at Boston on Tuesday. They play at Brooklyn on Wednesday. So back to back with those two teams. And uh, they play at Philadelphia on Saturday this week. Uh, what will the Pistons record be when we podcast next week? I, I do not like this schedule at all. Um, I have a really bad feeling about that Brooklyn game just because beating a team twice in such a short amount of time is always hard, especially when you're on the second night of a back-to-back. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say one and two, but I, I would not be surprised to see 0-3 this week just because I just don't like this schedule at all. This road trip, just it doesn't sit well. I am. I'm also going to say one and two. That Brooklyn game also does appear to be a trap game to me as well. But I will say something that we noticed uh, against Brooklyn the last time we played them, uh, even in the preseason, this was something that was apparent. They they really don't have anyone on the roster like capable of of stopping Blake Griffin. Yeah, I don't so think I, they have two guys combined capable of stopping Blake Griffin. Right. And so if we're if we're talking about uh, Blake's or Dwayne Casey's uh, propensity to just put the ball in Blake's hands and like say go like Brooklyn is a team that definitely can't handle that and so you know that's a case where you're you're hoping for you know some tiredness on the back-to-back or like other guys around him not being able to make shots but like if guys are making shots um, the Nets have nobody who can handle Blake Griffin and they should win that game pretty handily all right uh, that's pretty much it I didn't have anything else uh, what are you going to be working on this week Ben? I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be hopefully working on working my way up to Andre Drummond getting a little bit of vengeance back on Joel Embiid. Let's put it that way. I I obviously can't do anything about that, but that's what I'm going to be pulling for. Uh, come come Saturday, you know, uh, I'm going to be hoping for a Michigan football win. Uh, I'm going to be hoping for some Andre Drummond revenge. Who does that uh, Michigan play this week? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I have to look at the calendar. It was a bye week, so I just checked out on football oh, that's for this right. weekend. Okay, yeah. Yeah. State had a, a pretty good win against Purdue, I will say. Uh, the, Is there such a thing? Well, so Purdue beat Ohio State, right? Oh, yeah, that's true. They did, yeah. Yeah. So, and they shut them down, and so... Uh, oh, it's Penn the, State next week, so... Yeah. Oh, that'll be... Penn State went down to the wire against Iowa. That was... Yeah. Uh, more difficult than it should have been. Uh, Welcome to the Big Ten Football Podcast. I'm your host, Laz Jackson. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, what am I going to work on this week? I don't know. I haven't decided what I'm going to work on this week. Uh, I think um, the thing that's kind of inspiring the most me the most right now is my uh, disdain for this three-guard lineup that yeah. I've talked about four times now. And so if if Casey busts that out again against Boston, I'll, I'll write some some rage about that. 
and then after that we'll see how the rest of the week goes yeah uh, this will be an interesting week yeah um, in seriousness i think it would be interesting to look at um we just saw so little of this because Reggie was hurt last year. How did the pick and roll work with the ball in Reggie's hands and Blake off the ball? When was that successful last season? Um, I think if we don't do it, the coaching staff ought to do it because that's a natural plan B for the Pistons. So that anyone who's listening, write a fan post, um, give us some gifts and some video that there's, there's a there there. Let's put it that way. Definitely. I will say the one thing me and uh, Mike Snyder have talked about is, uh, Blake Griffin like no longer is operating as a pick and roll role man. Yeah. And I think that's just like a very, it's a very interesting development for mm-hmm. him mm-hmm. He, early in his career. Like he was like, you know, lob city, this devastating pick and roll roll guy. And like, that's just not who he is anymore. And they yep. like never even try it anymore, which nope. is odd. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to keep an eye on that. And uh, so should, so should Pistons fans. All right, Ben, what's the uh, what's the best place for people to talk to you about Michigan versus Penn State? <laughs> Hit me up on Twitter. I'm usually pretty active during Pistons games and uh, during football games with sports stuff. So at BR Galker. All right. And uh, if you want to talk to me about Rocky Lombard, uh, you can do so <laughs> at last chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. This has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, and we will talk to you guys next week. 